Welcome to our continuing study of the series entitled Elders, Deacons, Preachers, and Saints. Again, um, give credit to um, God, of course, but also to Mike Mazzalango, a brother from the Edmond, Oklahoma Church of Christ, for actually preparing this lesson. Would you join me in prayer, please? Our blessed, our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time of the week. This time of the week, Father, where we can get together with sisters and brothers in Christ Jesus. We can study your word. We can meditate on it. But, Father, we allow you and your word, Father, to rejuvenate us, Father, to help us forget about the uh, toils of the world that we've been hearing about the last few days, and we can just think about you. And, Father, we thank you for that. Father, as we go into this lesson tonight, Father, let us not forget what we've studied thus far, but also let us be open to to new things that we will study tonight. Father, these things we pray and thank you for in Christ Jesus' most holy name. Amen and amen. Before we get started, I was just reminded of something. I was talking to um, I was talking to Sister Jennifer, and she reminded me of something that. Back when I was a teenager, it was, I was having senior moments and it should have been okay because when my folks told me to be home at a certain time and I wasn't, had I known then what I know now, I could have said, Grandma, I was having a senior moment and she would have said, that's okay, I think. So, but well, I didn't try it then. Well, probably a good thing too because she probably would have showing me what a senior moment really looks like. Uh, so then, so as we get into our lesson tonight, in this lesson, we will discuss the symbolism and practice of laying on of hands from both the Old and the New Testament perspectives. So thus far in these eight lessons that we've had leading up to this, in those lessons, what we have dealt with is the qualifications and responsibilities of both the elders and the deacons. And from that, we surmise the following. Elders were mature Christian men chosen by preachers or other elders according to specific qualifications that are found in the word of God. Their task was to provide leadership provide leadership through teaching, through prayer, through example, and through shepherding. We also surmise that deacons were Christian men. They were mature in the faith, chosen by the congregation according to certain qualifications and confirmed by the elders to carry out certain tasks. Now, also, when we were looking at this material over the last eight weeks, especially last week and the week before, uh, what we found was we dealt with two main controversial issues concerning elders and deacons. Number one was this, that the passage, husband of one wife, has been interpreted to mean many things. But the interpretation that teaches that this expression refers to a man who has only been married once in his life is certainly correct. And to choose these type of men would guarantee that this person is biblically qualified, but also it will keep the congregation and the eldership from falling into a position where we can be accused of uh, of some type of uh, an accusation, if you will. That doesn't stop anyone from accusing or bringing forth an accusation, but when we're able to go back to the Bible and clear it up, it's really helpful. 
And number two, that there is some evidence in non-biblical literature to suggest that there may have been women serving as deacons in ancient times. However, however, the passages that describe the qualifications required to be a deacon overwhelmingly support the teaching that only men were appointed as deacons. And we are biblically correct to select only men for this role in the church. That is, if the only source or reference that we're going to use is the Bible. And remember when studying the Bible, we're going to look for three things. We're going to look for the command, we're going to look for the example, and we're going to look for the necessary inference. Now, when I'm saying this right here, understand this. I do not suggest that those who see these two issues differently are heretics, nor do I say that they're going to hell because it's not my call. But what I'm saying is this. After verifying the evidence, after carefully considering the teaching, I feel that the prudent, biblical, and most edifying interpretation is the one that supports male spiritual leadership in the church. So let's turn our attention to why we're here today. Today we're, we're dealing with land on of hands, so we're going to be talking about hands today. Hands, especially the right hand, in Hebrew thought, had great meaning. For instance, the right hand symbolized power. The right hand symbolized authority. One carried the sword in the right hand. The image of hands was often used to signify uh, various ideas. For example, dropping hands was used as a sign of weakness or lack of, res- of resolution. To hold them up was a remedy. So let's turn our Bibles to uh, Exodus chapter 17, verses 10 through 13. Exodus 17, verses 10 through 13. There the Bible reads, Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So it came about when Moses held his hands up that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. Then they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. Thus his hands were steady until the sunset. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek, and his people with the edge of the sword. Lifting of the hands signified violence or, in other contexts, supplication and prayer as well. Placing the hand, if you go over to uh, Genesis chapter 24, Genesis chapter 24, verse 9. So then, so what we're going to find is placing the hand under the thigh was a way to ratify an agreement. As in the instance when Abraham's servant did this as a promise to find a wife for Isaac from Abraham's own people. And again, I said it uh, 
Genesis 24, verse 9, the Bible says, So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. This gesture, if you will, was like, uh, I guess in today, when you raise your hand, when you give an oath in court. Now let's go over to Deuteronomy chapter 21. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 6. So, and what we see here is washing the hands often signify innocence. Uh, we can read about this also in the New Testament, but right now we're just looking at the Old Testament. So Deuteronomy chapter 21 at verse 6, the Bible says, And all the elders of that city nearest to the slain man washed their hands over the heifer whose neck was broken in the valley. So then, hands were used to execute a transfer from one state to another. Sometimes both hands were used or or laid upon something or someone else to signify a transfer from one person to the other, as Jacob did in transferring a blessing to his sons. And, and we can read about that in Genesis chapter 48. Go over to Numbers chapter 8 at verse 10. The Levites were ordained as representatives of the people before God by placing of the hands on the, of the people upon them. And what was happening was the people transferred themselves to the Levite by the laying on of hands. So in Numbers 8 at verse 10, the Bible reads, When you bring the Levites before the Lord, the people of Israel shall lay their hands on the Levites. The worshipers then would place, they would place their hands on an animal. Well, actually going to Leviticus 1 at verse 4 for this. Leviticus 1 at verse 4. It's amazing. I can do this better with my left hand than my right for some reason. But it works. Okay. So the worshipers would place uh, hands on, on an animal to be offered as a guilt offering or a guilt sacrifice signifying that they were transferring their guilt to the animal. Thus you have that term scapegoat and the animal's death would carry their guilt away. Uh, again, Leviticus 1 at verse 4, the Bible reads, He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it shall be accepted by him to make atonement for him. So then, by the time, by the time of the New Testament, the symbolism of the hands and and especially the laying on of hands was a well-established idea. And Jesus used this gesture and so did the apostles in, in uh, special situations and with various meanings. For instance, we see it used in for healing, for instance. Uh, Jesus lays his hands on the people to heal them. We can read about this in Mark chapter 6 at verse 5. And so did the apostles and the early disciples. For instance, in Acts uh, uh, 9, verse 12, we see it with Ananias. In Acts 28, verse 8, we see it with Paul. It was also used uh, for blessing. Uh, Matthew chapter 19. At verse 13. At verse 13. 
We see Jesus bless the children by laying his hands upon them. The text says, Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples, and can you see the, the disciples rebuke the people? Now, after this, we do not see this practice being carried on by the apostles or other disciples after this. Hands were also used in praying. The Jewish custom was to raise one's hands in, in prayer. It seemed that this gesture was still being, being uh, practiced by Christians because Paul refers to it in 1 Timothy chapter 2 at verse 8. So let's go over there, 1 Timothy chapter 2. At verse 8, the Bible reads, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. In the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, we see um, the apostles laying their hands on different disciples in order to give them the ability to do various miracles, such as speaking in tongues, healing, etc., now, sometimes this ability was conferred without the laying on of hands by anyone, i.e., we see this with the apostles themselves or Cornelius, but this came straight from God. But when it was given by the laying on of hands, it was always the apostles' hands who was providing this by the grace of God. In other words... You could receive the ability to do miracles directly from God or through the land on of the apostles' hands. But if you were not an apostle, you could not transfer this power to anyone else. So in Acts chapter 8 at verse 14, the Bible reads, Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Oops. So after the apostles, after Cornelius... And Paul, there were no other examples of people receiving the power to do miracles directly from God, but only through the apostles, which means after the apostles died, what we do see is less people able to do miracles since the only ones God used to transfer his power were the apostles, and they were dying off. Another use of the hands was for ordination. Now, the word ordination means to appoint or to make stand, and it's used in the New Testament to describe, if you will, a situation where one person is anointed or appointed to a role or to a task. The laying on of hands symbolizes the transfer, if you will, of authority and agreement to another's new role or task by one in authority. We've been reading the last few weeks about in Acts chapter 6 when the first deacons were appointed. And we saw there that once those seven men were chosen, they were brought before the elders and they laid their hands on them as they prayed for them as well. We also see it in Acts 13 when missionaries were being sent out. And also in Second Timothy chapter 1 at verse 6, which we will read, Second uh, Timothy chapter 1 
at verse 6. The Bible says, for this reason I remind you. Did I get the right one? Oh, yeah, yeah. For this reason, I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God, which is in you through the land on of my hands. So here's the question that is before us today. Do we lay hands on today? Do we lay hands on? I believe that we should when the situation calls for it, if the apostles did it, and then we can and should when it's scriptural. But keep this in mind. Today, when we're doing it, we're not healing, we're not blessing, uh, and we're not praying, and we're not doing miracles in the sense that they were doing it back then. So, for instance, for healing, we no longer have the miraculous power to heal, and we do not lay hands symbolically for this, but we do touch in order to encourage, we do touch in order to show affection, but not to heal. And uh, Brother Ken mentioned this maybe a week or two weeks ago and it's been mentioned on a Wednesday night before when the sister called the elders and she wanted us to to basically lay hands on her so we met with her in, in, in one of the rooms and we prayed with her we touched her but we were not doing that to heal her we were doing that to encourage her we were doing that to show affection we were doing this to help her remember and, and realize that God is in control God is in control of those doctors and nurses who would be caring for her. God was in control of her healing and her well-being, not us by virtue of the fact that we laid hands on her. Now, when it comes to blessings, we have to remember this right here. We are all brothers without authority over each other. So we can, so we can pray for each other, yes, but we cannot give a blessing like Christ Jesus could give during his time. Note that there's no further mention of this after Jesus is gone as well. Now, when it comes to praying, there are all kinds of positions that is used to pray, which means if one wants to pray with their hands raised, that person is free to do so. The New Testament says at that time, people were still doing so. So there is um, no reason why we cannot if we really wanted to raise our hands when we pray because this should be looked at as a personal choice to express their reverence to God and it should be perceived as reverent and the last one is this right well almost yeah the last one I want to mention here is this we cannot do miracles today it doesn't matter how much we lay hands on anything, we cannot do miracles. So we cannot transfer a power to anyone so that they can heal or anything else. We just can't do it. Now, ordination, yes, we can still do that. We still command, we still appoint men to preach. We still command, we still appoint men to serve as deacons. We still appoint individuals, command them to go on our missions. I don't know if you guys were aware of this, but um, for about three years, I believe it was, we, we were able to send our youth on missionary trips. They went to, I believe it was Bulgaria, Kodiak, Fairbanks, those three I do remember. And each time before they left this building, 
the elders and the preacher met with them and we prayed for them and over them and we symbolically laid hands on them to send them on their missionary journey to ordain them for the missionary journey that they were going out to do. So I think we can and we still should use this symbol to signify our approval and appointment of people who are going out on missions and missionary journeys. Each congregation, each congregation needs to make an effort to progress. And it's no different with Anchorage Church of Christ. Each congregation should make an effort to create the environment for growth. But keep this in mind. It is God. It is God who causes the growth. We, the individuals here, we are responsible for creating the environment for growth by developing each area of ministry. We look at the work that our deacons are doing here. We have, we have Jesse who's working with security and the younger children as well as Russ. We have Rob who's working with edification as well. We have uh, Scott working with the teenagers. We have uh, Josh and what he do with the, uh, the finances here. We have Bob and the work that he's doing with the camp. And, and additionally, we have Russ and, and Rob working with the ladies for the uh, ladies retreat and so forth and, and working with us for the men's retreat. Those are all ministries that are taking place here. We plant, we water, but God causes the growth. There is no growth without planting. There is no growth without watering. The land on of hands is usually a sign that the church is growing. Why? Because different people are stepping into greater roles of ministry. And land on of hands marks the transfer from step to step in that development. So with that said, progress requires change. And you think about that for a moment. We all get old and we die, which means people are going to change that's in charge of these pro- these 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 uh, programs. Progress requires change, but there are some things that we must keep in mind that never changes. Number one, God's word. I am the same yesterday, today, and always. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The same word, just think about it for a moment. The same word that brings us to Christ Jesus is the same word that keeps us in Christ Jesus. It's the same word that we will be following the day that we breathe our last on this earth. And if we want to go back 100 years, 200 years, 300 years, 400 years, but keep going back, that hasn't changed. God's word hasn't changed, and it will not change. Something else that will not change. New Testament Christianity. We look at Romans chapter 6, uh, verse 4 in particular. It tells us very clearly that we must be united with Christ Jesus in the waters of baptism. We can read in Galatians chapter 2 at verse 20, where it tells us again, we've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ Jesus liveth in me. So that does not change how we come to God. It must be through Christ Jesus. What else doesn't change? People over projects. You know, if you take the people away from the projects, nothing will ever get done. We still need people. You think back in Christ Jesus in in Matthew chapter 28 when when he uh, gave the great command. 
when he met with his, his, uh, his disciples on that mountain and he talked to them and he started out by saying, all authority has been given, in, given unto me in heaven and on earth. Then what did he say? Go unto all the world, baptize in the name and make disciples, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. People needed to go out and talk to other people to bring them to Christ. People need to talk to people and remind them that Christ Jesus is going to be with us even to the end of the time. People had to go out to other people and teach them how to do these things. That does not change. People are required over these projects. Just how far would we get with the men's, with the men's retreat if nobody did anything? How far would we get with the ladies retreat if nobody did anything? How far would we get with these other ministries that we have going on here if we didn't have men stepping into them and doing things? These, these chairs, this carpet, if some man didn't step up and do something. People are required to do things. And there's no way around it. I know Tony jokingly says sometimes, and I know he's joking, the church would be great if it wasn't for people. <laughs> you know? And that is true because we bump heads. But, it, but at the end of the day, after we get through bumping head and rubbing a little knot that we get from bumping heads, we still remember who we are. We're children of God. We're sisters and brothers in Christ Jesus. We still have a mission before us that God, that Christ Jesus, that God through Christ Jesus gave to us. And that is going to all the world and make disciples of all nations. So, so that means then soul winning doesn't change. We're still using the same word of God to bring people to Christ. We're still using the same word of God to help people stay in Christ Jesus and grow in Christ Jesus and mature in Christ Jesus. Let us not forget that. Let us not forget that. I can flip the slide. So we're done with this lesson today, not with the series. Next week, we will look at the selection process. We're going to look at the selection process for, for selecting elders and deacons. And I'm going to show you that form we got out there that when you want to norm and nominate someone to serve as an elder, when you want to nominate someone to serve as a deacon, this is what you need to pull out. You need to go over this with those individuals. Don't let it be a surprise when an elder come running up to them and say, hey, I understand you want to do this. Don't let it be a surprise. Talk to them about it. Make sure. But remember what I said about the survey a while back? I, just in case you don't remember, I'll remind you. According to this survey, we need one elder for every 40 adults we have. So either I'm making a big mistake or I'm not when I'm saying this right here. Either we only have 80 adults here or we're about four elders short. Either we only have 80 adults here, there's one elder for every 40 adults, or we are about four elders short. Which means we need people to step up and serve. There are people qualified with the exception of that one item. First Timothy chapter 3. Verse 1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. 
we read through the rest of these from two through seven, and hey, no problem. Knock, we have people here to knocking the ball out of the ballpark. But when we go back to verse one, we can't even get the first base. Because people do not aspire, aspire to the position of elders to serve as an elder, and they do not desire to serve as an elder. And for us as a congregation, I'll be honest with you, that's a shame. That's a shame because it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. I remember Craig Decker said something very interesting when he first started to serve as an elder. And this is what he said. From childhood, from childhood, he had always had a desire to serve as an elder. From childhood. You know that, you know, I, I didn't come into the church. I didn't come into the church until I was in my 30s. And to be honest with you, that moved me when he said that, that this man started young in the church. And even then, he was looking for the opportunity to serve as an elder, which means he continued to follow what was doing and live his life such that when he came time, he was ready to do this. So we are short of elders by four. But you do have two. And as long as we are breathing and we are healthy, we're going to be here for the congregation. But we need more men to step up. If we look at our deacons, we have an opening for benevolence. We have an opening for evangelism. And we have an opening for education. Russ and Rob are double dipping right now. <laughs> I mean, really. And, and Jesse, they're double dipping right now with the edification and the education of the young with the security. Brethren, we need men to step up. And what you all need to do is talk to these men about stepping up. Because God has blessed us so far in that the two deacon, the two elders that we have, we're healthy. God has blessed us so far in that even though we don't have all the deacons that we need, the work is still being done. But brethren, we need to step up. We need to step up. Yeah, I know Jaylee and I can, Craig, anybody ever serves as an elder here? Yeah, we get beat up pretty bad sometimes. And sometimes we get beat up because of us because we just didn't get out there and communicate properly. But you know what? We get beat up at work too. We get beat up at school too. But we keep going back to school. We keep going back to work. But we can't serve because we get beat up. Brethren, it should not be so. So then, thank you all for joining us tonight. For those who are online and, and would like to write us, call us, send us an email, there's the contact information. For everyone that's online and here in person tonight, in a little while, we're going to have a devotional. This class right here is just part of that rejuvenation process that takes place on Wednesday nights. The other part is that devotional that one of the men here has put some effort into to help us get into God's word and to help us continue to grow and mature. Thank you all for joining me tonight.